Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast where in four academics who love television, recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things pop culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi, The Next Generation, taking them two episodes at a time. This week, we are talking about Take On Me, um, episode 316, and Don't Dream It's Over, episode 317. Before we start two things, spoiler alert, uh, we will be recapping full episodes, so there will be full spoilers. And sailor alert, we swear, if that matters to you, you're probably should not move forward. I'm Tiffany Salter. I teach in the English and Rhetoric Film and Screen Studies Department, um, teaching film studies at Bates College. My particular area of research is Asian American and Pacific Islander literature, but I also teach classes in film theory, cartoons, and comics and nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English. I study television, uh, film and pop culture, also a pedagogy nerd, talk about teaching a lot. I teach classes in a bunch of areas, um, film, digital media, television, literature, writing, etc. I am a almost 20-year Degrassi fan at this point. Yep. Actually, I guess even longer if you technically count me watching in childhood, but that's neither here nor there. That's a real flex. (laughs) I'm Sonic Gabbard. I'm a professor at DePaul University in the Department of Women's and Gender Studies. I teach all kinds of feminist studies courses, including focusing on political economy, on pop culture, on feminist pedagogy, etc. My research interests lie in the intersections of transnational feminism and queer theory. And I have not been a fan for 20 years, but we'll say about 15. So how you like that? Yeah, but you know, the show started in 2001. So like, it's almost 20 years. Okay, I'm closer to the 15 mark than the 20 mark because Jacinta is way cooler than me. But I love Degrassi. I'm not going to argue with that. No, I. who would? I mean, come on. Yes. Love, love, love the next generation. I'm Brendan Shaw. I'm a professor of English at Central State University. I teach a lot of freshman composition. I teach African American literature, gender and sexuality studies courses, and my research looks at Black pop culture and literature. Excellent. So we're going to start with the episode called Take On Me, which is a tribute to the Breakfast Club. Uh, We're in. Sean plays the role of Judd Nelson, uh, or Bender, as he is known in the film. Uh, Toby takes on the role of Anthony Michael Hall, who plays Brian in The Breakfast Club. Uh, Ellie is Ali Sheedy's character, Allison. Uh, Hazel is the Molly Ringwald Molly Ringwald of the uh, group, or Claire. Jimmy is takes on the role of Emilio Estevez, uh, Andrew Clark in The Breakfast Club. So, um, you know, we've got the right number of characters. They're, they are all kind of pretty neatly actually slotted and aligned with uh, the archetypes in The Breakfast Club. Um, and we open up with not Professor, uh, Principal Radich in his Paul Gleason suit saying, you know, y'all are basically here for eight hours. So they open up by sharing their reasons for detention. Sean is there for, I think, like eight weeks. Toby and Jimmy are there for their shenanigans from two episodes ago where they're trying to change Jimmy's grade and get caught. 
Ellie is there because she skipped class, and Hazel refuses to answer why she is there for detention. So after this, we get a montage of Radich in the gym doing exercises with an exercise ball, or a Swiss ball, as he <laughs> calls it. Uh, and it is delightful. And then Hazel takes the hall pass to go to the bathroom, walks in on him, and they have a very awkward moment, and Hazel laughs at him. It is also delightful. So when she gets back, they are playing truth or dare, and everyone says truth. And when asked why she's in detention, Hazel changes her truth to dare, and Jimmy dares her to kiss Toby, which she does. And after uh, she asks, satisfied while looking at Jimmy, but it's Toby who says, yeah, makes it awkward. And I'm just going to, there's a tiny itty bitty B plot that I'm just going to slip right into the overall arc here, which is we see Snake uh, in the parking lot with a box, apparently returning to school um, now that chemo is done. Uh, And then we go back to the kids and they're at lunch and Sean asks Hazel again, why she is in detention. And she finally says she got caught surfing porn and they all laugh. And she says there was some spam in her inbox and she got curious. So uh, now that we know that um, everyone can go back about their business, basically the they're playing like everyone, but Ellie and Sean are kind of playing some version of cafeteria hockey. Toby is the goalie and has like cafeteria trays strapped to his legs and some kind of basket on his head. It's it's a lot. But Ellie and Sean are kind of off to the side talking about um, Sean asks her why She snaps elastics on her wrist, which she's been kind of doing throughout the episode. She answers him and says that it's a therapy coping mechanism for her. Then she asks about him stealing, uh, you know, because they're talking about rumors and like what people say about them. Um, And she asks him if the rumors about him stealing things are true. And he basically admits that they are. Uh, And we realize that Ellie was recording the conversation Radich comes in to the cafeteria, catches them goofing around and playing cafeteria hockey. So he decides that he's going to put them into separate rooms. And in the separate room, we see Ellie listening to the tape. So she gets the last bit of the conversation, or we hear the last bit of the conversation where Sean basically says that the rumors are true, that he was stealing. Um, And she changes the tape and then decides to bust everyone out of their room the kids are wandering the halls. Uh, at first we see them sort of like doing a conga line and then they find a freight elevator in the basement and they go up to the roof. So when they hit the roof, Toby says that he's afraid of heights. So he is kind of, he just stays near the entrance and then the two potential couples peel off. Uh, so Jimmy and Hazel go one way and Sean and Ellie go the other way. And Jimmy kisses Hazel and says that it is, uh, she asks basically why he did it. And um, he says it was for making her kiss Toby. (laughs) And then Sean and Ellie basically are talking about how they don't scare each other. Don't freak each other out. Uh, And Sean says that she's cute and they hold hands. Then we cut to Toby who's at the edge of the roof and sees Radich and Snake talking about Snake returning but also how Snake doesn't really think that they need to be so hard on the kids with the detention because um, basically Radich says that like this is they're toughening the the guidelines. So Snake leaves and Radich sees Toby at the edge of the roof 
So Toby and the kids rush back to the, their rooms, but Dr- Jimmy drops the keys. So Radich definitely knows that they were out. And when, so Radich is questioning them all and nobody says who had the keys out. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, basically more detention for everyone. And Toby confesses to having the keys. So Radich just lets them go um, and not finish the rest of this day's detention. And we, I guess, are to understand that this is because of the conversation he had earlier with Snake. But Jimmy says that that was cool to Toby. Um, and so we get a little glimmer uh, that maybe Toby and Jimmy, if not, are becoming friends or at least like the tensions will sort of cool a little bit between the two of them. Ellie says that she wants to take a picture of everyone um, and in digging through her bag, accidentally starts the tape recorder. So they all hear some part of tape recorded conversation and get angry at her. Sean takes the recorder and takes the tape out and smashes it with his foot. So the next Monday at school, we see Jimmy and Hazel together and Toby and JT and, and like Jimmy greets Toby in the hall. And so JT kind of is like, you know, what's that about? But then we see Ellie go up to Sean and give the other tape that we understand his confession to be on and says that this is the tape that you want to smash. And so they decide to get together. And that is the end. It's a delightful episode. So cute. I I mean, I appreciate it thoroughly. And this is, I think, some episodes ago when, when we were talking about the promo pictures for this episode and I said I wasn't going to send one of them. It's because one of them is of Sean and Ellie. But if I send you that picture of Sean and Ellie, you're obviously going to know that something is going to happen. <laughs> Well, so as I was watching, because I, because I was taking more notes than I usually do, I take more when I'm doing the recap, I, I paused like when they had their sort of first conversation before we see the tape recorder. I was like, I wrote in my notes, I was like, is this Shelly? <laughs> like all caps and like, you know, is this going to be Sean and Ellie? And then I then that happened and I wrote my notes. No. <laughs> so so yeah, it's a real roller coaster of uh, trying to figure out if this is gonna happen or not. Yeah, are we calling them Shelly? It's Shelly. She'll be Shelly. But his name doesn't have an H in it. I know. <laughs> Spelled Shelly, but it's pronounced Shelly. All right. All right, sure. <laughs> No, I think the episode, I mean, obviously the episode is delightful because of the references, but also just its cleanness. I think this season, because there was seeding so much on the front end, and now it's become very soap operatic at times, and like a little bit almost cluttered, having almost almost a bottle episode, right? Like the sort of TV conceit, right, of like a sort of self-contained episode that is separate from the world or the show, I think really helps. And that little B plot is so minor, but it really seems to have like the adults almost talking through the the theory of the episode, right? Sort of snakes thing about living in the moment and not worrying so much. It's it's like a nice use of snake also. Mm-hmm. Tom might say that we are down on snakes sometimes on this podcast, but in this case, he's a welcome addition. Yeah, to our fan who um, hates how much we hate on Snake, I have to say, I don't hate Snake. I just, (laughs) no, I mean, he's a weirdo. And like, of course, I'm always going to like an awkward weirdo. I just don't always know what he's 
doing in the episodes. Neither does he. I think the radish stuff here is delightful as well. All of it. The fact that he is wearing the same suit that Paul Gleason wears in mm-hmm. the fucking Breakfast Club, it just like it delights me to no end because it is so not his style. Like he is the other end of the 70s, sort of like brown suit, yellow, like light yellow shirt and like brown tie sort of situation. And this is like the Saturday night fever version Mm -hmm. of the 70s suit. And I am like, I'm here for all of it. And that they draw your attention to it by having him like stop and have a little moment where he's adjusting it in the like hallway. And then of mm-hmm. course also him in the like workout clothes, like going going ham on that Swiss ball. Yeah. And I mean there are several obviously reference moments, like when they're dancing through the hallways, like they do in the movie. And uh sort of Sean's interrogation of Hazel in the cafeteria is the same thing that Bender does to Claire in the movie to find out like why why she's in detention. And when the ceiling tile falls on Ellie and it puts the white dust everywhere and it's kind of like when Ellie Sheedy's doing the really gross yeah. <laughs> with her, yeah. which it's a good update. Also, as a side note, Ellie's hair is so like natural. Mm-hmm. Finally, there's no there's no like bang pieces or I think I think Stacy Farber's hair just grew out like I think it's just long enough well and they also stopped adding in like extra threads <laughs> I know that this was based on the breakfast club completely but I also got a skins vibe with the cinematography this episode like I was getting a skins generation one uh, vibe happening I think partially maybe because they're able to focus, right? I think the aesthetic of Degrassi is involves so much cross-cutting because they're always mm-hmm. like, gotta, gotta cram it all in. So they're actually able to do some stuff here that they don't usually get to do. Like all the stuff in the elevator, I think is really interesting too. Yeah. Um, and the roof. Mm-hmm. That's what made me think of skins completely. Sorry, not to cut you off. No, I mean, I do think that they're usually so grounded and it feels inside even when they're out on like that little green right around the school there is a point where ellie says whoa we're on the roof which i was oh like God, yes. why why is this line in have you ever found uh, uh, uh got a, a necklace that a significant other found on the roof <laughs> <laughs> the most awkward kiss speaking of which though can we just talk it's not like a light kiss it's a kiss kiss it's like a kiss like he went for kiss so awkward like i want to know why the director had that staging the way it is because jimmy is behind hazel fastening the necklace reaches around and at this point aubrey's pretty tall so he's like kind of crane necked around and still behind her and like half (laughs) caught kissing her it's just so awkward like the the physicality of it just seems a little uncomfortable i found Toby's sort of just in this like and this is an episode where Toby is just delightfully innocent and like when he like crawls to the edge he's like very has very intense vertigo and he's like throwing the rocks and it's joyful it's also interesting that as far as we know at this point of those five people he's the only one when they start the day who's in a relationship so like in terms of like the cool factor right like he's alone on the roof but he's not really alone in the way that these people 
there's a lot of like alone feelings, especially with Sean and Ellie and her psycho girl thing, as she says. Yeah, as a sidebar, are Toby and Kendra still dating? Great question. Do we have any indication that that is... We, we, we neither know that they are together or not together. What we do know is that Kendra is still playing all the sports. Because as we saw in the last episode, she's also on the damn gymnastics team. I, I don't understand how sports work at Degrassi. <laughs> Kendra, Kendra is slowly somersaulting over the uneven bars. Like, I don't know if I would call that being on the gymnastics team. <laughs> she's just hey, she's draped over a bar. <laughs> it's also nauseated. The seasons, so at Degrassi, the seasons for sports are two weeks at a time. <laughs> two weeks for each sport, then they move on to a new one. New costumes, new new everything. They just... And everybody plays all the sports. Like, all of them. Gotta stay limber. They're gonna play cricket next episode. I mean, you, that's why Radish is working out, right? In this episode, he's trying yeah. to keep up. Yeah, I love what... that he's doing calisthenics, too. Like, he's not, like, just working out. He's doing a very specific type of body movement. Yeah, no, it's a delightful episode. I do, and I think the Hazel and Jimmy thing as awkward as the kisses has also just, like, been in the background for so long this season. And earlier in the episode, Sean calls, or somebody, I think it's Sean that calls Hazel his girlfriend. And then she's like, I'm not his girlfriend. But then obviously, like, everybody knows this is going to happen. It's just a matter of, like, somebody making it happen. But as far as, like, setups for, like, relationships coming together, no, everyone else just kind of, like, happens. But the Hazel-Jimmy situation, like, has been hinted at, like, or at least they've been together. We've talked about this before, Mm -hmm. where they've been, like, they've been partnered in the play. They've been, you know, know, like, all of these sort of moments where they're, like, pretending at being in a relationship as sort of, like, how they, like, sort of realize that, you know. They went to the luau together. Yeah, they're just set up in a way that, like, nobody else has been set up because, like, I don't know, did we see Shelly happening before this episode? But also, as we talked about, I think, in the last episode, there are only so many Black people at Degrassi Community School. So, um, obviously, they all have to sort of circulate in the same relationship population. Like, some of them can jump out a little bit, but they also have to like sort of co-mingle. And timing wise, these <laughs> two are, are so often the good friend to a person, another person's plot line. Mm-hmm. They also have to wait to circulate to the front of the class at the same time. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, and that also comes up multiple times in the episode because they keep poking at Hazel about being Paige's second fiddle, um, which of course Hazel doesn't appreciate, but like everybody's like, um, but you know we can see you, right? <laughs> Sticking with the Breakfast Club parallels, isn't it supposed to be the other way? So Sean should have been with yeah. Hazel. Ellie should have been with Jimmy. Sure. That would have but... been interesting to have a Shazel relationship. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I think that no. would be so far out of bounds. <laughs> Hazel would not tolerate any of that fuckery. No, that would that exactly. would be wild. That would be wild. <laughs> Ellie, though, would tolerate a lot of Jimmy's fuckery. Sure, that would be more reasonable. But like <laughs> Hazel and Sean, I'm, I'm, no, no, <laughs> no. That would be really gross. 
Do we so so do we like the pairing of Ellie and Sean? Because I honestly am on the fence about this. It does feel a little once it happens, it feels kind of inevitable when they frame it as like the bad outsider. It's the outcast relationship. Right. I I like the discussion of mental health here, but it only comes sort of from her, right? And like he has a rage problem, but okay. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because at the beginning of the episode, I said to my partner, like, that thing she's doing with her bracelet, she learned in therapy. Because I know people who do that. And so I was glad they explained it because we don't ever see her go to therapy. And so we learned she's going to therapy, which is helpful to know because that was never quite established. We did. No, she went to therapy. Did we? Oh, right. You're right. We saw her with Miss Sobe, but we never saw that discussion. Yeah. Right. Because, like, she sat in silence for the first for the first meeting. Imagine Miss Sauve dealing with all the problems of this school, man. Like Ooh. they need to pay her more like retroactively. <laughs> but no, I mean, I I'm very biased in this as a person who watched it, you know, back in the day. I was very into Sean and Ellie as a couple. I mean, I was also into Sean and Emma as a couple, but you know, Emma gets on my nerves. So <laughs> like into Sean and Ellie um and and I do think like the outcast thing sort of works because they I wrote in my notes trauma bonding <laughs> like Ooh. they are are you know they they don't they haven't had this discussion yet right but they both have alcoholic parents they both are on sort of the margins in various ways and so they they can definitely have that connection and Sean's part of the problem with Sean's relationship with Emma was feeling like he always had to be someone else. And I don't, he doesn't have to do that with Ellie. Yeah. I, I like the Shelly pairing actually better than Sean and Emma as well. I think for many of the same reasons, I just, I think that they both like are people, folks who need to be seen uh, in particular ways. And like, we have not in, in Ellie and Marco and with Emma and Sean, we, we have not seen them really be understood. Like they have both sort of like been, been asked to wrap themselves around the personas of the people that they've been with in Mm -hmm. um, really problematic ways. Um, And so I think that like, you know, as you said, the, the sort of the trauma bonding, obviously, but also just like their, the, the, their positionality within like the school and everything. I, I think it just, it, it makes sense. So I am interested to see where it goes. Yeah. I My one concern is, well, I have a couple of concerns. First concern is that they're, they both already do, like you said, they wrap around their partners, but they also do a lot of emotional care historically. And I worry that this is going to be a codependency situation that is not necessarily healthy, especially since Ellie's getting help outside. Like Ellie's in therapy, Sean's not in therapy. My second concern is where we left Sean, he was not a redeemable character for me, even with the Liberty episode. Like Sean is hanging out with some toxic dudes, like some really toxic people. And I I worry about Ellie having to assimilate into that group um, and Ellie kind of losing her glow. I mean, we'll get that in the next episode, right? Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. That's that's in this episode, though. (laughs) I know, but Tiffany hasn't given a recap yet. I would, I would also say, like, okay, I, I always tell, like, say that the attraction 
to like bad boys, so to speak, only makes sense in fiction. So when Sean does say he's the one stealing, she's like, oh, I've heard, you know, that you're stealing stuff. Do you know anything about that? And he's like, I do know about that because I'm the one stealing it. And he kind of looks at her with this little, you know, bad boy look. And I'm like, obviously it makes sense that you would like him because in fiction, this works. <laughs> like, this, this is very cute. <laughs> like, it makes sense. Yeah, all that tells me is you can't pay your bills. Like, <laughs> Well, we already knew he couldn't pay his bills. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. I meant it more in the Destiny Child bills, bills, bills context. <laughs> I'm just saying. Independent Woman Part 2. Exactly. Um, I mean, I think also that conversation, this whole episode's about how everyone's perceived, right? Mm-hmm. We've had so many right. episodes, the, the two-parter, right, just before this, all about everyone gossiping about everyone else. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the episode right after this is in part about people's perceptions of other people getting in the way of things. Um, so I think that is also why there's all this, like, what do people think of you? Um, I kind of am sad that we don't get a little bit more of Hazel's like clear sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Like it's opened up there and perhaps that's to remind us just that she's a sexual being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even just having her talk about porn is sort of a big thing, especially in the context of like the early aughts when like porn on the internet is much more like taboo to talk about. It's like known, but not the way that I think now it's mm-hmm. like part of the discourse. Right. right? I also think, like, most recently, we've seen Sean aggressively making out with Amy in the back of a classroom, right? (laughs) And this is not that type of relationship, right? It's obvious that he actually does like Ellie. I mean, maybe just this is the first day that he's, like, we're realizing it, but it is, like, a real connection that they're having and bonding over their other people's perceptions of them and holding hands and stuff like that sean does like a fixer-upper too i mean (laughs) he does like remember with emma when snake and spike were starting a date and he was doing all of that he likes the project he does yeah i mean ali is a little more complicated because i think obviously marco was a lot but as we discussed marco was also doing was the framing of that was all very odd um And I mean, Marco's like her best friend, which is like a whole situation into itself, right? Like their kind of relationship. Why don't we talk about the next episode? Because (laughs) I can't, because this is all related. Uh, Real fast, though, I would have liked another scene of Hazel and Ellie. I liked a little bit of the bonding, but I would have liked a little more of the Hazel-Ellie bonding. Yeah. I think we get more, oddly, we get more on this show about the boys figuring out where they fit, which is interesting because usually it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. But then the women's relationships are just sort of like this weird constellation where it's like, I was, I'm your oldest friend. Everybody you. gets exactly one good friend and then they <laughs> sort of hang out with other people. And, and, <laughs> and then Paige gets two, but she only ever talks to one at a time usually. Right, she like swaps one one in, depending on the circumstance. Which I guess also sadly cues up the next episode. 
Wouldn't it be great though if Hazel and Ellie had a kiki about how stupid Ashley and Paige were? Like, I want that. I want that conversation. We we've seen them hang out before, right? But we've just never seen them talk, right? We've seen this group of like Paige, Hazel, Ashley, and like Terry or hey or whatever. Like we've seen this groups of three or four, and Ellie's there, but it doesn't like there doesn't seem to be any cross communication necessarily. Yeah, I was gonna ask like I don't remember them like the two of them ever having right. a conversation or even addressing one another directly in the context of a larger conversation or exactly. like a larger group of people. Um okay. So with that said, let's move on to Don't Dream It's Over. And so I will so I will give a content warning here. I watched the first two minutes of this and had to like turn it off for the night and like watch it later um, because I had a lot of feelings about the first incarnation of this uh, Terry Rick relationship. And I, when I saw that that's where this was headed, I was like, Nope, I'm good. Okay. I will. So like it, we get the opening um, and Paige for the weekend has the van. Her parents are out of town. So they are going to do a road trip to, I didn't quite catch it. Like basically they end up at a park, but like, so they're going to go somewhere. And so it's Jimmy and Hazel newly minted couple as they are. uh, And Paige and Spinner and Terry walks up as they're discussing this. Uh, Oh, uh, and they all call shotgun at the same time, which I is like my favorite thing. But then Terry walks up and says, Hey, what are y'all talking about? Paige invites her to join them and Terry's basically like no I'm good I don't want to be the fifth wheel we get so this is all a plot so then we get a cut to her in Miss uh, Kwan's theater class and in that context they're doing exercises like different activities and we see Rick looking at Terry in class and then they move on to a trust exercise and Terry kind of is standing there until Everyone else is paired off. And so she ends up with Rick uh, and she has to be the person to fall into Rick's arms, thus setting us up for the metaphor of this episode as a trust exercise, a trust fall. I had to pause this episode a lot. We get Terry and Rick joining the, the other four folks to go to this, to go on this road trip. Terry basically just like surprises them with Rick's presence. And when they go get a latte, uh, the four of them basically are like, let's, I don't want Rick on this. Let's leave him behind. They all decide to, to bring both of them because if they don't allow Rick to come, then Terry will stay and she'll be alone with him. At least this way they would be able to keep an eye on both of them. But when they get to their destination, which is, a picnic table in the woods again questions about where they are road tripping to <laughs> um rick goes to sit on the van the minivan um and page gets angry at him because he won't sit he doesn't want to sit at the the picnic table with everybody because as we've seen in the previous episode with him in it he doesn't like her friends so he doesn't want to be with them he wants to se- always separate her out from her friends so they end up getting uh, Paige and Rick end up getting in a fight because Paige is talking to to Terry and basically saying like what's going on um he's not he's abusive uh and he overhears them comes out goes to out into the woods to to leave and Terry 
gets angry at Paige and says, hey, why did you do that? And Paige basically says, well, if you want to be with him so much, go after him. So she goes into the woods with Rick, um, who we see kicking cinder blocks um, and just like having a fit and like kicking in the dirt and in the cinder blocks when Terry joins him. They get into a fight because Rick says, hey, let's just walk back. Um, And Terry's like, it's too far. We can't just walk back. We have to like go back, ride with Paige and them on the way back. And he grabs her and she says that he is hurting her. And they continue to fight until he pushes her. And and he pushes her and she lands her, her neck or her head lands on one of the cinder blocks and she is knocked out. Um, and she is bleeding from her head. So we cut to Hazel saying something about a movie and Paige and, and Spinner decide to go check on Terry because she's been gone a while. They go back to this clearing in the woods and see Rick bent over Terry and has got her blood on his hands. And he basically runs away. So they go up to Terry, figure out that she is knocked out cold, um, and they call 911. Okay. So um, that's a lot. And we, the next sort of um, day in school, which I guess is the following Monday, we get an, an announcement from Radich that Terry is in ICU. The kids, so like they're in Snake's homeroom, which has. Paige and Spinner and a couple other people. Spinner really wants to like talk about it. Um, and Snake says they're not allowed to talk about it because minors are involved. Um, so they can talk about their feelings, but they can't really get into it. So Paige passes around a card, which they made, which is a big piece of poster board um, to have everyone sign to take Paige and Spinner take this card to the ICU to see Terry where they meet up or where they see her dad, Terry's dad and have a conversation with him. He gets, he understands like that he comes to understand through the conversation that they knew that he was, that Rick had been abusive to Terry before and he gets angry at them and asks them to leave. Um, But not before they, he also says that um, she's going to have surgery that night uh, brain surgery because she has a blood clot. Paige and Spinner have a fight a little bit, but like go back the next day to um, check on her and Paige and Spinner. And oh wait, before that happens, so Paige, Paige and Spinner basically blame each other um, for this happening and have a fight. And the following morning, we see Spinner walking to school and he sees Rick in the passenger side of a car, pulls him out of the car, yells at him and is about to punch him and stops himself. And Paige is also there and saying not to do it. Um, And then Rick's mom comes out of the school and says, don't touch my kid. Um, And they drive off. And it's like, I think we are to understand that Rick is being unenrolled from the school. So then Paige and Spinner make up. They go to the hospital, talk to Mr. McGregor, make up with him. Like they all apologize. Mr. McGregor also says that he was out of line for blaming them for um, what happened to uh, what happened to Terry. And she made it through the surgery fine. And Mr. McGregor is hanging out to see that she comes out of it. Okay, so then the B plot is 
Ellie and Sean, so Shelly centric. Uh, Sean asked, oh, well, Marco and Ellie have plans to see an Indian sim- cinema double feature um, on a Saturday. And then, but Sean also like asked her to go see Elimination Round Three, uh, which is an action thriller, an action movie. And she realizes that it would conflict with her plans with Marco, but she says yes anyway. But then shows up to the date with Marco. And so it's Jay and his girlfriend, Sean, and then Ellie and Marco. And so why? and like in the in the theater, Ellie and Marco are having a hard time taking the movie seriously and they're laughing and everyone is angry at them for laughing. And also we see Marco and Sean reach for the popcorn in Ellie's lap at the same time. And that also gets awkward. Basically, like it seems like they're like, I mean, obviously Sean is upset and they kind of have a fight, but they like at, without getting into too much detail, they make up and they like Ellie says, like at the end of the episode, this is the first relationship I've really had. I need, I need help. <laughs> Basically. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, you can ask me. So, okay. So here we are. And Marco is a good friend in this episode. I don't love the way that Ellie sort of castigates herself at the end. Right. Yeah. Um, but Marco sort of also is like, yes, Sean is annoying, but also you're trying to build something with him. And you brought me on a date to be fair to Sean or to to Ellie, like asshole Jay and his girlfriend are there, and they, those assholes are there, and they're not being homophobic to Marco, but being homophobic to Marco, like right. I mean, but there's, I mean, like, but also Marco is a fifth wheel, much in the way that Terry was afraid that she would be a fifth wheel if she was. Oh, I get it. I just, it's right. hard when Sean's other friends are all awful. Yeah, no, fair. Yeah. Agree. And Jay yeah. is awful in the last episodes we watched. He's awful to Liberty in a way that Sean isn't. Although Alex does tell Jay, because he tries to go, he says, go buy me some popcorn or something. And she's like, yeah, if you give me $20. <laughs> yeah. To that, which I laughed. That was, that was actually my favorite thing from this episode was Alex getting to speak and it being just what we wanted to hear, which is a woman not taking shit from Jay. I cannot wait for Sean to dump Jay. Like I'm, I'm oh, so ready yeah. for this to happen. I can't wait for Alex to dump Jay. Okay, slow down, Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of speaking of narrative speed, like given how long other stories this season were allowed to develop, yeah. I think the thing that frustrates me about this episode is that like. The cinder blocks in the woods? Seriously. Well, no. Is that not the it's just, it's just, Yeah, it just goes from zero to a hundred. Like Rick is reintroduced, and in the course of the episode, splinters a friend group, attacks her, puts her in the hospital because they go to fuck park and which like and at the back of fuck park is Cinderblock garden right like it's just like no, what is- re- the funny thing like i remembered of course that this is the episode where terry gets knocked out but i didn't remember that it was a woods full of cinder blocks and so now i'm just confused like i was like why are all these cinder blocks here well i thought it was a, a woods rave but there's no raving no raving music yeah, I mean, like the first the first shot as the van, the minivan is like pulling in, is like two people making out, Fuck and I'm part. like, what? Yeah, so yes, yeah, <laughs> part. But like, 
what is like I can't I need to like rewatch like how is this characterized by Paige at the beginning? Because like they're clearly like going I mean they're playing Frisbee later and talking about like bad movies. And I'm like, what is why is this worth a road trip? Is it just you want to just take a road trip? Go to someplace more interesting than like a, a fuck park, I guess. I think and I mean I think is this a term that I just don't know about? No, like I just made know? it up because okay. I, I first saw the part. But I think that the fact that the other thing that's frustrating is with it's all over the space of like two days that we go from Rick has been ostracized, kicked out, the friends, Terry, to suddenly Terry feels like a fifth wheel because this is the first time she's ever felt like a fifth wheel since this happened, I guess because Hazel and Jimmy are together. He's back in her life. I, it just happens so fast. Well, yeah. And so, like, I mean, I and I went through the recap, re- like, as fast as I possibly could. But there's, like, a lot of details. So, like, in the, like, I think the thing, the biggest jump for me is between the theater class and then, like, showing up to the dot, I guess, yeah. the next day. Because in the theater class, like she's clearly angry with him, which yes, you should be. Um, and they do this trust fall exercise, which tells you nothing about how much you can actually trust a person. He apologizes and said it would never happen again, but he's apologized before he says, I miss you. And she says, I know how you feel. And I don't know if that means like, I have also missed a person or I have missed you. And that's like, that's where it's left. And then they're leaving class and he's talking about like Ibsen and Brecht. Like I when he, when he did that, I wrote in my notes, Rick is ricking. And he also just isn't like, we've seen this weird, like, theater class that Quan teaches before. Yep. And obviously Rick was in it before because of the whole Marco's play thing. But even just one other episode where we could see that he was still in the class, it's sort of like he's just reemerged completely. And this right. show could have had him dropped into the background. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Just a side eye. Yeah. Just a side eye from Terry at some point would have worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like some indication that like because, like, clearly at the beginning of the episode or at the beginning of this class, it is hard for her to be in the same space with him. But, like, has it been this whole time? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but this in is... In the space of a trust fall, like, all of a sudden, like, it's okay? And is it okay right. because of the trust fall? Is it okay because, like, she feels like she she's desperate to bring somebody to the fuck park? Mm-hmm. Like... This is also like a conversation. This is a time where she, Ashley, her and Ashley could have had a conversation at some point. Like there could have been a conversation at some point. But they just have, they don't want to give Terry like any kind of agency outside of like whatever this relationship, quote unquote, is Mm -hmm. this season. And, And so like, this is part of my frustration is like, this is the only if this is the only storyline we get about Terry all season, like I am like really fucking angry. Yeah. I mean, I 
So I was thinking about a question earlier, kind of just about like, I had so many feelings over the course of like the, the episodes that I watched in preparation for recording today um, that I'm just like, is this what it was like to be a teenager? Like, I, I mean, like having such strong feelings all the time. And I'm just like, is this so like, is this a responsible way to make television for teenagers? Because I mean, like, uh, we talked a lot about like how we appreciate that, like they address issues in a way that seems really real, but I, I don't know. Season three has just been for me really, really hard. Like it, it's been like really emotionally manipulative in ways that like I have not appreciated as much as I did in the first two seasons. I mean, I definitely think it's it's going there more, <laughs> so to speak, which, I mean, was how it was marketed, right? Degrassi is 100% intense, which is part of the marketing. Um, I mean, I definitely, and I, I would say my adolescence was relatively tame, and I still remember extremely yep. intense emotions. So I, I, I definitely, like, relate to that part. Um, I think, though, that the thing about Degrassi, though, is, like, if this was, like, the OC or Dawson's Creek or something, we it would be so much more plot dramatic in ways that those stories tend to unfold as opposed to, like, focusing on the actual issues that the people are having. Yeah. I think Degrassi does actually pay more attention to the actual issues as opposed to using it as, like, a season arc. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good point. And I and I agree completely. And then also two things. One, as someone that grew up in rural Indiana, fuck posts are a thing. But I don't get it because they live in Toronto. But like we would do like fuck field instead of fuck park. Um, so like that, that rang really true for me where we just gathered in open space just to get away from adults. But then also one of the things to go back to what Tiffany was saying, I think Honestly, they don't they don't really spend a lot of time unpacking the toxicity of these relationships and they don't spend a lot of time unpacking the gendered aspect of it because every moment this this season where we see a toxic relationship or just like bad habits in relationships have been at the expense to the young women characters and Marco Right. So like, but no, I think that speaks yeah. to sort of like they're pat, they're giving this toxic young male ask masculinity a pass in a lot of ways, or they're just not unpacking it in the way that I think we need to see it. And I do think that is in part indicative of the time that it came out. I do think that now YA gives a little bit more space for young women to not have to be the brunt of, and no, young women and queer folks to not have to be the brunt of all that toxicity. And we're seeing a little bit more nuance and complications in male characters. But I, I do think that there's just been a lot of dumping on the women characters and, and the only out queer character in the show. Well, what you were saying, Jacinta, I, I think often this show develops things more about the characters. This one episode, this felt like a soap opera. Episode, right. Where, like, the bad person is returned at the beginning of the episode so they can do the mm -hmm. bad thing by the middle of the episode. Mm -hmm. And what's unfortunate, too, is that Terry ends up being just a device for 
Mm -hmm. And actually, instead of really good conversations, we finally have Spinner reckoning with his own toxic masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. Because he has a conversation with Paige about, like, I could have gone that far. And we've been talking for three seasons, but especially Mm -hmm. this season, or at least the last two, about how Spinner is this sort of, like, attractive, kind, toxic masculinity character. He's homophobic. He's bully. He starts out as a bully. He's violent but Paige sort of gives him a pass and so she doesn't but still it's like the only way that happens is because he's not Rick right mm-hmm. and that's at the expense of what happens to Terry just like he wasn't someone who would jump Marco in a park exactly. Exactly, right and so I think that he the show can't like that's why and so then Rick is part of the reason Rick isn't part of the tapestry of the show is they don't have a really really bad person linger right. and I also think that what you were saying, Sonnet, about the female characters is partly, too, that, like, adults provide advice about only certain things, and it's not been really about relationships. So instead, you have characters like Emma, who are annoying because they're reacting as a teenager, mm-hmm. but they're also positioned as the parent who hears mm-hmm. things sometimes. Right. Or even Ashley or Paige. So mm-hmm. you have these parental acting, almost auntie roles mm-hmm. they take on, but they're still teenagers. And I think, like... The thing about Degrassi, which is sometimes a strength, but also sometimes something that stresses us out a little bit, is that Degrassi believes most characters are redeemable. Um, when they don't think a character is redeemable, it's usually pretty clear. Like, they are bad. They are distinctly bad. Like, there's no, like, coming back for Dean or something like that, right? Um, and But for most characters, I think they believe that, like, they can do really bad and come back from it, um, which I think sometimes they don't necessarily dive into as much in depth so much as just keep the person around until we like kind of forget about that other thing they did and yeah. then bring them back. And that's also very gendered too, which further supports my claim that they don't do men very well, right? Like, have we had a quote unquote bad or evil woman that's unredeemable maybe sydney but she was more like an uppity bitch type of character and she got that speech which made him so sympathetic for her right she got a backstory right right like she got to say something whereas rick just disappears in a car i think the perhaps the most interesting thing they do with rick and i was saying this when we were watching it last night was like he's a drip right he's not a sean he's not so i do think that there is an interesting choice to make him not the bad boy character, not he's, he's, a, he's tedious and annoying and a nerd. And so I think that, that the pedagogical purpose of showing that these kinds of behaviors can be in any person and need to be watched for. And having, I think what's frustrating, go for it. I was just going to say, and having her dad say, you know, he was over our house all the time. I liked him. I trusted yeah. him, you know, um, and and that just shows you, like, it could be this guy. It doesn't have to be the Sean or the Jay or the whoever. It's just a regular dude. Which also shows that, like, I mean, Rick has at least some self-awareness about, like, what behavior is appropriate and what can be shown to people outside of the relationship, which is part of the reason why it's really important for him to isolate her so that he can... Mm-hmm. He can Right. You know, unleash the behaviors that he like he has to like he at some level, like also even acknowledges that that they're not healthy 
behaviors and they're that they're destructive and abusive. So I mean, my temper. Sorry, he says my temper at the beginning. Yeah, I think the thing with the parents that you were talking about or the dad. Mm-hmm. I liked the second speech. The first speech is a little bit frustrating to me. I guess the point was supposed to be because so the Mr. McGregor like lays into Spinner and Paige, which then leads them to turn on each other and basically says like, you knew and you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I guess the point for the viewer is supposed to be like, if this happens to your friend, go tell an adult, mm-hmm. which of course imagines a world in which everyone has a misobey, which is to not to say you shouldn't, but it does like there's so much work that that group of four friends were doing for Terry just to get her out of the situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I found that I'm glad there's the second scene where he's like, I was mad. It was inappropriate. Cause usually adults on this show yell at kids or these teens and then never apologize. Mm-hmm. But I, I was that, I got the point, but it made me uncomfortable that it was like, they're dealing with so much shit right now. Well, and, and, and also the thing, the response that I had on a sort of, practical level because I also was very angry after that first scene with Mr. McGregor was that Terry didn't really give them an option because like I think that it was a pretty astute assessment to say if we don't let Rick go with us then Terry's going to stay behind and then no one's going to be around so like Mm -hmm. what would have happened if something similar had like some similar interaction had happened between Rick and Terry and like no one called, you know, an ambulance. So, Mm -hmm. but I I was frustrated in that moment because in the, in the interaction with Mr. McGregor, because like there was an explanation that you could give in that moment to sort of not explain it away, but like at least contextualize like why decisions were made. It's not like they knew that Rick was coming to the dot and coming with them. And I think that when an adult, (laughs) like makes that kind of accusation, it's really hard for a kid to come back and say, okay, but there's some context here and we did the best that we could do in that moment. I do think like, I mean, obviously there's some sort of implicit, like, oh, you know, the whole like see something, say something sort of situation. But I also think like throughout the series, Degrassi does show, you know, that, Obviously, as we all know, teenagers are not always going to talk to adults about the things that are happening in their lives, right? Uh, it is good to have those resources there. Obviously, like we said, Miss Sove is doing like a lot of work here <laughs> with a lot of people. I, I think we could think about like what would happen if they had told an adult about what Rick was doing. Cause it, I don't think Terry would have responded well to that. Right. That doesn't seem like it, it until she gets fed up with Rick that first time around, she's not going to respond positively. If like Hazel had gone and told like Mr. Simpson or something like what was going on, she probably would have covered for him, which I mean, I think is like the logistics that they're trying to figure out. And they're like 16 and this is hard. I think also one of the things that I appreciated about this episode was kind of showing a little bit of the complicated feelings um, bystanders have in terms of Paige's anger at Terry, but also compassion. But also, I mean, in a way, it is a betrayal to all of them, not just to bring Rick, but also to, to see her betray herself, right? Because they did so much work supporting mm-hmm. her, et cetera. I know we already touched on this, but I do think Lauren Conrad did an 
Excellent. Not Lauren Carnine. Lauren Collins. Wow. Okay. Not Elsie from the Hills. Um, she also does an excellent job, but that's a she? Do- <laughs> um, she does an excellent job uh, on on Laguna Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think she did an amazing job showing Paige's frustration and also care, yeah. right? And when she and Spinner are having the argument in the minivan because Paige wants to have sex because Paige needs an outlet, and she's like, "This." Will but also, is that me. going to happen in the van outside the dot? Well, they could go to fuck park. <laughs> they left the park and they, they were in the van back. outside the dot. <laughs> they could go to fuck field. They could go anywhere. I actually really liked that scene because Me too. I also thought Spinner was really, I thought his acting was really good for once because I think this is a place where consent is sort of in the background, right? Yeah. He sort of says, like, mm-hmm. you're really. He doesn't. He um, he's essentially saying it feels like I would be taking advantage of your like. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel cared for, and this right. would be an act of care. And he's saying, I don't trust the situation and your mm-hmm. elevated emotions that you're really consenting. And mm-hmm. similarly, when they have the scene where he's crying, I was like, this is a lot more of, like mm-hmm. subterranean mm-hmm. work that Spinner is doing. For once, and also um, he doesn't want to have sex with her. I mean, that's the other thing. It's not just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not in a sexual mood, yeah. and so seeing right. him, Mister Horny Pants, who's always like, "Get it in, bro," be like, "Actually, <laughs> this is a." He's like, "This is a." Seeing our friend unconscious in the hospital is a boner killer, Paige. Like, I think that that does give him some layers. I think to go back to Paige again. Also, we have all, I would imagine, been in the situation or perhaps been the the person that is sort of the target of the situation, but been in the situation where you give your friend advice and they don't listen to you and, or they listen to you, but then they go back and do the thing that they're not supposed to be doing. Yep. And it's like extremely frustrating. And it might not be obviously to the level of abuse. It could be like their partner was lying or their partner cheated or their partner's just annoying or whatever the case may be. And they've asked you for advice or leaned on you. And then they go and do the thing and it makes you mad because you told them and then they get hurt again. And then they, they just cycle all over again. Um, so I think that is also very familiar uh, to people to connect to, even though, like, obviously we don't want Paige to be blowing up at Terry, but we sort of understand how she got to that point. Totally. Do we need to say much about the B-plot? I mean, don't bring your best friend on your date with your new boyfriend. It's probably solid advice that I could give Ellie. I already uh, forgot what the B plot was. <laughs> but Sean, Sean should also not be a little brat about his. Yeah, Sean is an asshole. He's an asshole. It's hard. It was hard for me. Like once they reframed it as bringing your best friend on your date, I was like, okay. But also, he's like physically moving, Marco. I think yeah, that they we, they should be like if you're going to try to bridge this gap between your boyfriend and your best friend, probably the movie theater is not the place where you like build that box. <laughs> also, think about how many dates Manny went on. Like, I do, I am like, fuck you, Sean. Like, you put up with all this shit from Emma, but with, with Ellie, you're like, no, 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 your gay best friend can't come. Like, I also, I also think that, like, um, you know, this could have been avoided if we didn't have Mom Ashley interfering 
to begin with and putting it in Ellie's mind that she needed to have plans with Sean over the weekend because Ellie's initial plans were to go to the movies with Marco. And then Ashley's like, well, what about Sean? And Ellie's like, to be fair, Sean also like assumed Saturday was, but that was like, that was like after the fact, right? Well, and he asked and like, she, she was like, basically she said, no, no, no. It's fine. He gave her the opportunity to say that, like, the plans didn't work for her. And she just said, no, it's fine. I'll I'll, I'll work it out. And at that moment, she should have said, I have plans with Marco. I could invite him to come with us. But, like, to just pop up and just, like, show, like, with no warning to show up with somebody. I mean, like, that's, you know. Also, as we've said before, the weekend is multiple days. So, like, <laughs> like, this is well, and also, like, maybe you go to a matinee of the elimination uh, round three, like, you know, may, or uh, later if if the if the Indian cin- cinema double feature is in the yeah. afternoon, who knows? Yeah. Or invite Sean to go with you to the double feature. I mean, they made yeah. a joke that Sean wouldn't be into it, but he ate sushi. Like, Sean's <laughs> not a fucking like. Like, and like closed-minded what, asshole. It's not like Sean likely had a busy weekend. What's he doing? Building motorcycles and stealing things? Like he's got time. <laughs> he's got other time. I mean, just that that's his that's his job. So I, yeah, that's fine. But like that could have that could have been avoided. Also, while we're talking about this, can we also talk about Marco's expanding hair? Because oh my god, <laughs> the wig is so bad. It's such a bad wig. Like, I don't like, think it's a wig, girl. I don't think it's that's not a wig. No, it looks okay. like a fucking bad, terrible, no, awful wig. I think that's a bad blowout. He's got a lot of secrets in there. That's some Adam Lambert, like too much gel during American Idol blowout. Like it is. It's a lot. It's a wig. It's different it's lengths. Not. It's, different, it's, it's not. It's not. Different teams. It is a it's, fucking wig. He's also like cosmopolitan, right? He's like, I want to see in like your um international cinema. And then when mm-hmm. he has like the conversation with Ali, he's like, they're like sipping like cappuccinos, right? <laughs> at the like stand up bar at the dot. And then he's like, has the best advice. And you remember that commercial they made, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I remember <laughs> that eating with chopsticks. On the, I think, actually, the scene that made me most angry at Sean was that scene where they're sitting together. Like, that wasn't a date that Sean was on with her, and he yeah. pushes Marco out of the way. And after that, I was like, fuck that guy. Yeah. So I liked that Ellie, at the end, both apologizes and is like, maybe you shouldn't be a fucking asshole to my friend True. at the same time. Well, and even before that, he was just like, I, I just wanted to have some alone time or whatever. And she's like, cool, you got it. Deuces. <laughs> that was awesome. Up. It was a very good response. You know what it wasn't? It was not an Ashley response. And that's why it was so good. Well, Ellie's not going to play a sad song for us. So Ellie doesn't have time for it. She's like, you might be my first boyfriend, but you know what? Being alone on my own feels good, too. But also the part at the end where um, she goes to talk to him and he's like, wait, I thought we broke up. And she's like, are you breaking up with me? Like, <laughs> they have no idea if they are actually in a relationship. I didn't know they were boyfriend and girlfriend. 
Like that caught me off guard too. You know, this is like the very high school situation. I think I've mentioned this before when my friend went on one date with a guy and he was telling people they were in a relationship and she was like, <laughs> we were on a date. and like this communication of whether or not this is an actual relationship doesn't necessarily always happen. So I think the presumption is that they are in fact in a relationship. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Handholding boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. Two plus two equals relationship. Obviously. Well, what are our favorite things from this episode? Or I guess both episodes? Uh Yeah. Both episodes. Well, I already talked about the cinder blocks in the woods, so I'm going to, you know, leave that where it is. But my favorite thing from um, Take On Me is when they are all, you know, escaping their individual rooms and they go to get Sean and Sean says... I'm not a joiner. I don't do group activity. Oh my God. <laughs> I felt that. I felt that. <laughs> oh my God. Um, my, in that episode, just Hazel's porn. Hazel's porn was yeah. my favorite so much. People are still clicking spam links in 2020. So. For sure. <laughs> I think so for mine, my favorite thing in the um, Don't Dream It's Over is the movie poster for Elimination Round 3, which is like this sort of like visual mashup, I guess, of like, I don't know, Rush Hour and like Die Hard. Um, And it's just it's there's like flames in the background and like every it's just it's it's very good like i knew exactly what that movie was by looking at that movie poster <laughs> oh can i share my favorite thing from that episode sure. um so two things and i made notes ellie and marco laughing throughout that whole movie like i felt yeah. that on a spiritual level i felt every part of that it was my favorite thing um and then the other thing was pages uh instagram mom influencer in training look with the minivan i was like girl i see you in 20 years i know what your life is gonna be <laughs> just page right like lauren college is so tiny and so like this tiny human in this big ass minivan was everything to me i also meant to say marco is the human or is the human security blanket yeah I think mine, I mean, the second episode is such a mess and so upsetting, but uh, the first, I just love all of, like, the Radich as, like, daddy doing a workout, like, <laughs> going on there, that it, like, <laughs> your face just a dead. But he's got the little shorts, and he's all over his little stuff. And then, I forget who calls it Radich's Bad Kids Detention Roundup, but I loved that. <laughs> Oh, is that when Snake goes to see them in the cafeteria? And he's like, as you were. (laughs) Like, he doesn't stop them from playing cafeteria hockey or anything. He's like, carry on. He already said, once you've been through chemo, the little things don't matter anymore. Live, laugh, laugh. And I mean, he points out to, like, Radish, like, you have Toby and Hazel and Jimmy. Like, this is not, you know, like, Scared straight. <laughs> predictions, Tiffany? My predictions are, I just, I hope, like, it's more of a hope. I hope we get something in season three of Terry that has nothing to do with fucking dumb shit brick and the fallout from that. This is all, this is all I want for Terry is an actual storyline where she enjoys life and makes good decisions. 
Yeah. No, I mean, in general, I'd love some storylines for these women that aren't about them either supporting other women through awful shit that's thrown at them. Yeah, simpler times. <laughs> I don't love Shelly. I think it's going to crash and burn, and I'm okay with that. I Same. want better for Ellie. I want better for Ellie. Um, and I would like Marco to have an actual like partner and not just be beaten up. Yes. And also, like, Sean needs to spend some time working on Sean. Agreed. He could be single for a while, and that would be okay. Live, laugh, love, Sean. <laughs> oh, boy. <I> don't <laughs> on that know. note. <laughs> I don't think that's... We'll see if that inspirational, that inspirational wall hanging appears in the background in Sean's bedroom. Thoughts and prayers. Until next time, it goes there. Whatever it takes. Whatever something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bye. Whatever something. Bye. Whatever something. <laughs> He's something, all right. Thanks for spending time with us again. Be sure to find and follow us on your social platform of choice. We're on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. And please share the good bleeping words with friends, family, random acquaintances, that ex you reconnected with during quarantine, or whoever else might want to listen to four professors talk about teen TV. Please like and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. If you really like us, please leave a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help us out. We also want you to check out my friend Chris Robley, who has allowed us to use his song Anonymous for our intro and outro music. You can find Anonymous on Chris's fifth album, The Great Make Believer. His website is chrisrobley.com, and that's R-O-B-L-E-Y. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Robley. And Chris is also the co-host of the DIY Musician Podcast, so check it out. This week's episode was edited by me, Tiffany Salter. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk at you next time. Tell me about it, stud. Oh, no. I want to put my glasses on, too. You like? (laughs) You like? Oh, this is like two steps away from some bad pornography. (laughs) Uh, Hi, (laughs) y'all. Hi, y'all. Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love pop culture hate and love on pop culture. (laughs) I need the script. I need the script. It's fine. I'm going to try it again. And go get the script. Get the script. If you want the Wherein four academicals love and hate on all things pop culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi. There's more words. Spoiler spoiler alert. (laughs) We will spoil things like milk. Spoiler alert. We have hide your baby's ears. And we have things that come out of our mouths. So hide your baby's ears. I'm Tiffany Salter. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm a professor in Asian Pacific Islander studies. I teach film studies and I'm an expert in every in all these things. <laughs> Done. Okay. I, I'm introduced. Who's next? I want no parts of this. <laughs>